One more time, welcome. We are glad that you are here. We are excited for all that God has in store for us this morning. Uh, we are starting a new series today talking about common denominators. And I'm excited about this series uh, because we're going to be talking about three of the most uncomfortable topics in any dinner party, right? Race, religion, and politics. If you want to make somebody uncomfortable, sit down across the table from them and say, I'm ready to talk to you about, and, and insert one of these into the conversation. It's something that it, it draws a lot of tension in our world, a lot of tension in our country. And I think as the church, we need to be talking about these things. That to ignore them, to pretend like they're not there, or to disregard what the Bible has to say about these issues, we do that at our own peril. And the difficulty is, right now in our country, and, and this has probably been something that's been the human condition for a long, long time, is that people are so against each other that there's just this constant friction, there's this constant fighting, there's this constant back and forth. And, and what I find interesting about that is that when you look at nature, we're told that opposites attract, right? I mean, that, that's what we're taught. And so to help illustrate that, I bought this fancy magnet set on Amazon. One, one hint when you're buying things on Amazon, make sure you read the descriptions carefully. I swear the picture showed this girl with a magnet that was this big. And so, um, so th this is a, a little bit smaller than I was anticipating. So hopefully you can see that if you're online, I apologize. Hopefully they get a tight zoom on me or something. But um, we, th this is what I've got with you this morning. But here's the thing. When we know about magnets is that if you take the, the polar opposites, the north side and the south side, and you put them together, they attract, Right? But if you take the two north poles or the two south poles and put them together, they, they, they push each other apart. And, and that's just the dynamics of magnetics. And so when you see that and when we hear those statements that opposites attract, why is it that when people are on opposite spectrums politically or racially or religiously, rather than being attracted to each other, we fight, we argue, we bicker, we, we have issues. We don't follow this natural consistency that people who are opposite, we, we should have some kind of attraction to them. We should have some desire to understand from them. But I feel like when we look at what's happening in the world around us, we are more concerned about being right than understanding the other person, than understanding what's happening on the other side. And so we are starting a series this week called Common Denominator. And we're going to be discussing how if you're dealing with things that seem so different from each other, you have to find something in common. And I hope that by the time we're done with this series, you'll recognize Jesus is that common denominator. That Jesus is the one who is for us, and that he wants to unify us. That was his message, that we would be one, that we would be one people, and that we would be a unifying agency 
in the world around us. And so that's what we are going to be discussing over the next three weeks. Today, we are going to specifically be looking at Jesus discussing racism. And this is one that's pretty close to my heart. For those of you who don't know me well, this may come as a little bit of a shock, but I'm Native American. I know you can't tell it by looking at me. I get that a lot. I'll go into different agencies specifically for Native American people, and they'll look at me and they're like, you realize this is only a service for Native Americans, right? I'm like, yeah, I pull out my, my tribal card and I let people see, no, I, I really am Native American, but I mean, I have enough Caucasian blood in me that it, 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 it masks it pretty well. I look a lot more German from that side of my family. But because of that, I got to experience different sides of racism. Growing up, uh, we were often on the reservation, and there were times where when I was on the reservation, I would be targeted because of my skin color, and I'd be called names, and I'd be made fun of if they didn't know who I was. If my cousin was with me, however, then they wouldn't do it because they liked him, and they, he grew up there on the reservation. They knew him, and, and there wasn't an issue. But I grew up in a mostly white community, which had a few Native Americans in it. And I got to watch as people that I loved and respected made fun of and belittled and slurred Native Americans. I actually had a principal pull me into the office one time, and he said, I'm really concerned about the fact that you're hanging out with these two students. And I, I really would wonder what your mother would think if she knew you were hanging out with them. And I said, well, here's the deal. They're my cousins, so I think my mom would be okay with it. <laughs> so, so, I mean, that's, that, I, I'm not saying I understand it perfectly, but I've, I get it. I, I've been around it. I've seen the evil hatred of racism. We, we, have, we have had the privilege in our married life to be all over the world. Like, I, I have been able to travel all over the world at different times where we have lived. We have been the minority. And so we've got to see how these, these issues work themselves out in different ways. But today, I feel like it's important that we take some time and recognize that Jesus has something to say about this. That when it comes to the ideas of racism, Jesus is not silent. And if we are going to let him be our common denominator, we have to look at what he says and, and how he approaches this. And so we're going to read a story about a time when a certain member of the religious elite came to Jesus and was trying to figure out how to get to heaven. And that, that's a decent question, right? We, we should want to know how to get to heaven. And at least this guy recognized that Jesus would be a good source for this. Actually, that's, that's a lie. He was trying to trap Jesus into saying something that could incriminate him. And so when Jesus is approached by this, this scribe, this teacher of the law, the man comes up to him and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? As a matter of fact, why don't we start this story? Um, I'll be reading today from Luke 
chapter 10, looking at verses 25 through 29. And I'll be reading today out of the New Living Translation. Again, Luke 25, or sorry, 10, verses 25 through 29. Matter of fact, why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word? And this is how it reads. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. The man, wanting to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you chose to love us. That when we were enemies of God, when we were different from you, when we were separated by so many layers of sin, you reached down to us and you offered us life. I pray today that we would see through your words your desire for us to reach out in the same way to those around us. That we would look for ways to break down racism in our own heart and to break down what we are seeing in our country. That we would be courageous stewards of your words and that we would not be silent. We would choose to speak for you. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. Prepare our hearts for these words we pray in your name. Amen. Well, before you see it, why don't you wave at a couple of people. Let them know you're excited to be worshiping with them today. If you're online, shoot us a praise emoji. Wave at your digital neighbor. Let them know you're excited to be worshiping with them. Well, Jesus approaches this very interestingly. This man wants to know what, it need, what he needs to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, well, what does the law of Moses say? And here's the deal. The law of Moses is big. Like, if you haven't tried to read through Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you're in for a treat. Try Do that before bed sometime, and I'm, I'm telling you, it, it might just help lull you into a restful state. Because I mean, it's law upon law and weird instruction upon weird instruction. And I mean, they're not weird, obviously. I mean, there, there was a definitive reason for all of these different laws. And God was helping to establish a nation to understand how it is to live with each other and to live with him. And so this guy could have spent hours going on and on and on. Well, the law of Moses says this and the law of Moses says that. But rightfully, he, he, he takes it down to a very simple statement. It's a statement that in part, was something that the Jews said at least three times a day. It was called the Shema, which is simply love your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then he adds something that was pretty typical actually back then, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus was impressed with this man. He said, right, you got it. But then the man was trying to justify his own actions because apparently he wasn't being too neighborly to everyone. And so he simply asked this question, who's my neighbor? And that's a great question because we need to understand if we're supposed to love our neighbor, where does that end? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, does that mean that I only love the people extending to the end of my block? Or, but what if you live on a farm? I mean, how, how far you know, do you extend who is your neighbor? Or, or is it just the people in my community? Or is it just the people that look like me and vote like me, that I'm supposed to love those people? And so, trying to justify himself, he asks the question, who is my neighbor? What follows is probably one of the most well-known parables that Jesus ever told. Yet, in all of its well-knownness, I think there's a lot of things that get missed. It sounds like a really great story of compassion. But actually interlaced in there is a deep teaching on racism. A deep teaching on how we are to treat people who are different from us. And how when we ask God the question, who is my neighbor? Really, there's nobody who's taken off of the list. And so, Jesus tells this story. And when he does it, there's a couple of things that he tells us neighbors do. The first thing that he shows us in our story is that neighbors avoid loopholes. See, this guy was looking for a loophole, right? He was a good lawyer. He, he, he was looking for you know, the buyout clause. He was looking for the way that he could do the least amount possible and still make it into heaven. And so he, he was looking for the legal loophole there. But Jesus is saying that if you really want the kingdom of heaven, if you really want to be a neighbor, you have to avoid loopholes. And so he shares the story, and he begins to talk about a couple of guys who look for some loopholes. Starting in verse 30, Jesus begins this story. As Jesus replied with a story, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, as Jesus is telling this story, the two people that he mentioned should have been the heroes. These would have been the most religiously respected members of their society. And Jesus says, this priest, this temple assistant, the Levite, they completely ignore the man. 
Well, the priest completely ignores him. He, it says he walks on the other side of the road, stays as far away from the guy as he possibly can, and keeps on going. Interestingly, it says the temple assistant, the Levite, he says he actually looked down at the guy. I, mean, I, I don't know if he, he you know, threw a rock at him or poked him with a stick or something like that, but it says he at least looked at the guy, but then he kept going. But here's the thing. They had their reasons. Reason number one, here's a guy laying half dead. And if he's there, there that might mean there's other people waiting to attack him. And so each of the men probably had a little bit of concern. If this guy's here, there's, there's bad people on this road. I got to get down the road. God obviously doesn't want me to get hurt. So I'm, I'm going to keep going. Besides, this guy's probably not going to make it anyway. The other thing is, they may have assumed he was dead. And for a priest or a Levite to touch a dead body makes them unclean. It means that if they were going to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, they would have had to have gone through a ceremonial cleansing and then not been able to go into the temple for days. And so they had reasons to not help this man. And they were valid reasons. I mean, we, we look at it and go, what a, what a bunch of hypocritical religious people. And, and you're probably right. But, but they had the loophole. In the Word of God, they had a, an out. They were, they were supposed to be on their way to do what God had called them to do. And they had no time to deal with this person who was hurting on the road. And then Jesus adds another character to the story. In verse 33, he says, Then a despised Samaritan comes along. And you need to understand something. Jews hated Samaritans. This was a deep racial issue. This was something that they couldn't stand. See, the Jews prided themselves in their purity. That's why if you look through Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Genesis, and even in some parts of the New Testament, there's these big, long genealogies. And they're there to prove just how pure God's lineage is. And any good Jew could tell you, I'm from this person, I'm from this person, I'm from this person, I'm from this person, I am a true Jew. And two of the categories that people, Jewish people, good Jewish people hated the most were tax collectors because they were siding with the Romans. They were politically, they they were Jews, but they were siding with the Roman government. And so they were traitors to their own people. The other group of people that they absolutely hated were Samaritans because Samaritans represent a population of Israelite people who went off to captivity. And rather than keeping themselves pure in captivity, they intermarried with all of the different races that they were brought into through their captivity. And when they came back to Israel, their line was no longer pure. They were They were a mixed race. So Jews hated them. They said, you didn't do what was right. 
You, you brought foreign races into our country. And so they actually exiled them to an area and said, you guys stay there. We don't want you as a part of our greater nation. Matter of fact, a good Jewish person would go around Samaria to avoid it. Even though the most direct route from northern Israel to southern Israel was directly through it. And so he introduces this man, a despised Samaritan. And obviously at this point, the audience is bought in. What's going to happen with this Samaritan? What, 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 what is Jesus going to say about this evil, rotten, filthy Samaritan? What's interesting is that he shows the Samaritan avoids the loopholes. The Samaritan chooses to go beyond his religious, his ethnic, his own safety issues, and he's the one that shows compassion. And he shows us the next thing that Jesus is trying to teach us about neighbors, that neighbors love lavishly. That when the Samaritan came upon this man who was hurt, he didn't look the other way, he didn't callously just inspect the situation and then move on. It says he, he had compassion and he loved him. And he loved this man in an extreme way. Going back to our story in verse 33, we read, And when he, the Samaritan, saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an end when he was, where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man, but if his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, you read that, and as, as good Americans, we, we have no context for when he says two silver coins. This is actually a day's wage. So, I mean, imagine that he's laying down a couple hundred dollars and saying, take care of this guy, and when I come back, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll settle up any other debt that occurs from this man being here. He had no obligation to this Jewish man. He had no obligation to help him. He had no obligation to do anything. And yet, he's the one who shared compassion. He's the one who stepped out. I mean, remember what started the discussion. A man saying, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' answer in this parable of the man who acted like a neighbor was the Samaritan. He took the lowest, most hated individual in the story and turned him into the hero. So much so that to this day, we talk about being a good Samaritan. Most people hear that term and they don't even know what it means. We don't, we don't recognize the deep racial tension that was put into even making that statement, a good Samaritan. There's no such thing to a Jew as a good Samaritan. But here Jesus is saying, this man from another race, from another ethnicity, from 
another religious bent was the one who was good. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of an event that happened almost six years ago now. Where on June 17th, this white young man walks into a Methodist church, a mostly black Methodist church, and he sits down as if he's going to be a part of a Bible study. And then in the middle of the study, he stands up, pulls out a gun, and shoots and kills nine members of the congregation. The man very clearly identified as a white supremacist. And it's tragic. Unfortunately, we've heard so many of these stories, we've become numb to them. We, okay, well, there's another one. There's another shooting. There's another racially charged incident. And we just, we hear it, we're in awe for a moment, and then we move on. But the powerful part about this story is not what happened in that room. It's what happened next. 48 hours later, a bond hearing was set for this young man. And the members of the family of the individuals who were shot came to that bond hearing with one goal and one goal only. To let that young man know, we forgive you. One of the victims stood up during the bond hearing and said this, talking about the fact that this man had robbed her of her mother. She said this, I forgive you. You took something really precious from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. They understood that even when people treat us poorly, even when people malign us, even when people attack us in the bitterest of ways, we are to choose forgiveness. We are to choose love. We are to choose to go beyond what society says is okay. It would be a normal reaction for these men and women to be angry and upset, and I'm sure they were. But they allowed the voice to be the loudest as one of forgiveness. It it reminds me of what Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. We have to choose to love. We have to choose to love lavishly. This guy went out of his way in an extreme measure to love the hurt man on the road. And this is what we're called to because the other thing that Jesus says that neighbors are to do is neighbors are to do likewise. That 
if you are really going to be a neighbor, you're going to do exactly what this Samaritan did. Or you're going to act in a manner accordingly. In verses 36 and 37, Jesus goes on and he asks the question, Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Don't miss this. He wouldn't even call him a Samaritan. The most easily distinguished part about that man was that he was a Samaritan. But he couldn't even bring himself to say, it was the Samaritan. He just made the, the one, that, that, the guy you mentioned who showed compassion, he was probably the neighbor. So Jesus says, yes, now go and do the same. If we're to be Christ followers, we are to go and do the same. We just finished celebrating Easter. Easter reminds us that our debts have been canceled, that we are loved by God, and that regardless of our race, regardless of our background, regardless of where we come from, we are to love. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, showed us that he was breaking down racial walls. He was breaking down all sorts of barriers. He wanted people to take this message wherever. And in one of his final comments to his disciples, it said, Saturday evening, so this was the day he rose. He gathered his disciples. And he said to them, peace be with you. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In other words, Jesus is saying, I was sent to everyone. I was sent to the least. I was sent to the poor and the broken. I was sent to people who were beyond the reach of Israel's laws. And in the same way I was sent, now I'm sending you. If we are going to take seriously what Jesus is saying here, then we must change our proximity to people who are different from us. We must move beyond any kind of racial, any kind of economic, any kind of other barrier that keeps us from other people and choose to be sent in a manner like Jesus. What's interesting in this story is Jesus could have told it two different ways. He could have told it that a Samaritan was on the road and he got beaten and left for dead. And that these other people passed by, but a really good Jewish man reached down and showed compassion even, even to this person of another race. And that would have been radical all by itself. 
That you're supposed to show love and compassion to someone who's different from you. But he flipped it. He made the Samaritan the hero because he wanted this Jewish teacher to realize he was on the road. He was the one who was beaten and hurt. He wanted to us to be able to put ourselves in the story and to realize that if it was us who were hurting and broken and lost, what would we want that person to do for us? If we were the ones who were separated from God, what would we want that person to do for us, regardless of the color of our skin, regardless of who we are, regardless of what we've done in the past? What would we want that person to do for us? And that's why the Samaritan was the hero. Because he, he wanted, Jesus wanted them to see, if you would want that kind of mercy from someone who's even of a different race, you should live that kind of life. You should go and do likewise. So, this is a big ask, I know. And it's complicated. There's a lot of different things in here that make it difficult, but that doesn't mean we're excused. It doesn't mean we need to just sit back and go, well, this is really hard, I don't get it, so I'm going to continue to be ignorant to what I'm supposed to do here. I want to give you three big things and then maybe three little things for you to think about. Uh, so if we want to take this serious, first thing that I think we need to do is we need to embrace the stranger. That, that we need to find ways, just as it said, to decrease or change our proximity to people who are different. We need to look for ways to embrace. But as you do, please do it with tact. Please learn to find out what is good news to them, what they want from us as we interact with others. I, I had the opportunity to sit around with some college students, and one of them was an African-American, and they were talking about, you know, shortly after the George Floyd situation, they said, I am tired of white people coming up and apologizing to me. I mean, it's like, because she recognized they weren't doing it because they loved her, they were doing it because they were trying to appease their guilty conscience. So make sure when you're doing it, when you're reaching out to the stranger, and it does, again, it doesn't have to just be racially stranger, but someone who you're not used to hanging out with, ask yourself the question, what would be good news for them? What would be something they would want me to do? And right now, I can, I can imagine right now, there's all sorts of objections. There's all sorts of loopholes coming up. And I love Jonathan Edwards, the old revivalist preacher. He did an amazing sermon on this. I don't have time to go through all of his points, but he specifically attacked people's objections. You know, one of the things that people, well, I don't know anybody like that. Go find them. You're sent to go find people different from yourself. That, that's not an objection. Well, I can't afford it. You know, I, I, I've got so much going on in my life or I don't have the money to take care. What did the Samaritan do? I doubt he was walking down a road saying, I'm really looking forward to someone that I can put my hard-earned money into who's just lying dead on the road. But I, that's what I'm looking for today. He was probably busy. If he had that kind of money, he was probably a business person. He had as much right as the priest to walk past. 
But he gave of his time. He gave of his energy. He gave of his resources. What we really say when we say, I can't afford it, is I can't afford it without inconveniencing myself. And doesn't that sound opposite to what Jesus has called us to do? What if he said, I know, I really can't afford to go down to the cross. You know how inconvenient that would be? We have to choose to look beyond that. Another common objection is, well, they're in that position by their own fault. It's their own lifestyle choices that has left them in poverty or left them isolated or whatever. Again, we don't have an excuse. Jesus looked down at us while we were still enemies, while we were still sinners, and he loved us anyway. We need to embrace the stranger. We need to use privilege to serve. I'm not here this morning trying to make any claims about white privilege versus any other privilege. But what I am here to say is if you have anything of privilege, you are given that to serve others. It's not your opportunity to defend it, deny it, whatever. If you've been given good things, they're not just there for you. Use what you've been given. Use your status. Use your wealth. Use your resources to serve others. And then speak for the silenced. Often, people who are racial minorities or people who are oppressed, they don't have a voice. Or their voice is muted through whatever. We need to learn to speak for those who are not in a position to speak for themselves. And find ways to advocate for that. And I know these are three huge things. I, I guarantee it will take us a lifetime to figure out how to do these well. And I'm willing to admit we're going to do it poorly from time to time. But it's not an excuse. Jesus said, if we are to love, we are to love like this. And so here's a couple of baby steps that maybe we could do this week. Memorize Luke 10, 27. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, understand, the Jewish leader, he memorized it too, but it didn't really change who he was. So this might be one you already got memorized. Great. Then take some time this week and honestly evaluate, are you living it? Are you loving God with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your heart? Are you loving your neighbors as you love yourself? If not, ask for forgiveness. Ask God how you're supposed to respond. And then begin to live differently. And show kindness to someone who's not expecting it. And I'm not saying you have to go find someone who's racially different from you and show kindness to them. But begin to flex that muscle by showing kindness to somebody, someone who you wouldn't normally associate with, someone who you wouldn't normally be a part of your sphere. Just go show kindness to somebody. I don't know what that might look like for you. Maybe it's rather than avoiding someone who's panhandling, you go give them money. I know they're going to spend it on alcohol, but, but maybe you do it anyway. 
and you tell them you love them. Maybe buy them a, a cheeseburger. Make sure that's what they want. Maybe it means talking to somebody at work or talking to somebody at school and, and just finding out about their story. People love to tell their story if you'll just sit and listen. But do something. Let's not let us hear what's being said here and go, okay, well, that's a gr- that was a great sermon, Pastor. Now, now, now we're going to go on and keep doing what we've always done. That's what the lawyer wanted to do. That's what the religious leader wanted to do. He wanted to find a loophole so he could keep living his old life. Let's be people who take this seriously and actually start to change the way we live, start to change the way we spend our money, start to change the people we hang out with because we recognize we're to do likewise. We're to be sent the way Jesus was sent. And he wasn't sent to people just like him because there's no one just like Jesus. He went to the hurting, to the marginalized, to the poor, to the broken, to the people who could never repay him. What could you ever do to repay Christ for his love? He went to those people. And those are the people he lavished on. We are the people he lavished on. And he wants us to do the same for others. Let's pray. Jesus, we we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the ways in which you pour out your love upon us. We are so undeserving. And yet you came to us. The fact that most of us under the sound of my voice, whether in this room or watching online, that if we've come to know you, most of us aren't Jews. Which means you chose to extend your grace beyond racial barriers, beyond cultural barriers to invite us in. Help us never to hate someone because of the color of their skin, because of pigmentation, because of how they act culturally. But that we would desire to find out, to befriend, to love, that regardless of who someone is or where they come from, that we could find ways to show love. Because that's what it is to be a neighbor. And God, I pray that if there's anyone in this room who they don't know you, they've never experienced this kind of love, that they would feel the Holy Spirit drawing them in this moment. And that they would choose to draw into your love at this moment. Matter of fact, if that's you, I would invite you to pray a simple prayer. If you recognize you need this kind of love in your life and you've never experienced it before, maybe you've experienced it and you walked away and you want to accept Christ as your Lord, you want to accept Jesus and the love that He freely offers, the life that He came to give, I invite you to pray a simple prayer. 
Pray something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. And I believe that God rose you from the grave. Forgive me of my mistakes. I'm turning away from my old life and I'm turning after you. Holy Spirit, help me to live for God all the days of my life. As I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed a prayer like that, come talk with me or put something on the internet. Reach out to us through Facebook or through the little icon on the online service. Let us know that you've made that decision. For the rest of us, why don't we stand as we sing one more song and let's walk out of here with the determination that we are going to go out under the blessings of God to be sent like Jesus. Let me bless us as we go and then we'll sing one more song. Jesus, I do pray that you would bless us, that you would protect us. Jesus, I pray that you'd be gracious toward us and smile upon us and that every day we would walk in your favor and in your truth and your peace as we pray these things in your name. Amen.